spring. What brings you back? I think this is one of the most important annual experiments in creating a different world or creating a different society that's not based on hierarchy and is actually attempting to change the world from within and using a lot of us products of a dysfunctional culture to try to create a culture that works and finding the experience of anarchy not as just complete chaos but as just having control but not under anyone else's control is an exp interesting experiment to me and very vital to the work in the world because there's so much hierarchy and we've decided that hierarchy has such a high social cost that it's not really useful or, or worthwhile and here I've actually found having teamwork be higher functioning than a high functioning hierarchy and that surprised me because I believed like many others that hierarchy was the most highest functioning way of doing power but had too high a social cost and I found that in a medical emergency my team has worked just as well as any of my teams in the other world when I did search and rescue on an emergency. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you right now. I'm fine Jack. Well because the Leos are down over here in mass right now with their pepper spray guns. Okay I'll take I her just, down there after. I just want to make sure that nothing goes Sounds good. So I'll take good. her over after. Okay. You want to walk down there with me or are you on um, I am, I'm not on call, I'm on the radio. Do you okay. want to do that right now? I'd like to see what's going on if you're curious. Is that okay? I'm not particularly curious unless a problem happens. Yeah. I, I try to have a rainbow gathering unless there's an actual problem. Yeah. Now, they historically do create problems on the 3rd of July, but there's been an unprecedented amount of cooperation from the LEOs this year, and we were sort of hoping they wouldn't create an incident on the 3rd of July this year. Last year was the worst they'd ever created, but they've created some very bad incidents in the past. And I, we believe they use us for their training purposes to learn crowd control because we don't have weapons. We're not, we're not a big protester march. We're just here having fun or doing our spiritual prayers. And they like to come in, and we call them the incident creation team. And the ICT is what they call themselves. We just say incident creation team instead of incident command team. And I think folks are pretty worried that they're going to try to create an incident, which is historically true of the last few years. Last year, they opened fire on our children's village at dinner time on the 3rd of July, creating a lot of problems. Yes, it's difficult to stay calm and peaceful when someone is doing something agitating. Well, I was actually one of the people who got shot last year trying to protect the cops from the creation, the incident they created. And they were shooting their crowd control, and then they decided they wanted to arrest those of us who were trying to protect them. And they didn't do it then. They came later on trying to look for us, hunt us down, and it's very disturbing. I'm a medic. I'm an EMT, and I go to wherever there's a crisis, and whether it's hippie on hippie, whether it's cop on cop, or whether it's hippie and cop, or whatever it is, or whether it's a heart attack, that's where I go. That's, I'm like a white blood cell of the rainbow gathering. And so I was in between the cops and a very angry mass of people who had their children shot at and the cops the LEOs decided they wanted to shoot us as well <laughs> not a very intelligent decision to do because we were the only things between a full-out riot and there's only five of us I think five to seven of us stopping a full-out riot from happening and they were shooting at us as well what techniques did you use to keep people calm well, there wasn't really any keeping calm because of what, you know, shooting into a children isn't really a great thing to do to keep anybody calm. But some of the, the de-escalation tactics of Shantasena, which are peacekeepers, which we all are at Rainbow Gatherings, but I'm one of the people who stay online to answer problem calls. Um, one thing that's important with most law enforcement officers is they have a very large bubble when they're scared. They have a bubble anyways when they're not scared, but they get scared easily from my experience and to keep people out of that bubble.
especially when they've drawn live weapons, which they ended up at the end of our time, they ended up drawing live weapons. It's like, okay, keep the crowd as far back as possible. Try to keep any kind of stones or sticks that anybody might want to throw out of their frustration at having been shot at. The, the LEOs were actually aiming their lasers on people's foreheads, which was just, in, you know, creating more incensing. You know, the LEOs were escalating, and it was really hard. It's hard to de-escalate when one or both sides continues to escalate. But the biggest thing we can do is just keep a big separation between the two parties, just like any fight. How do you stay the neutral party? What's going on inside of you, and how do you keep yourself calm? In the moment, I'm not sure how neutral I am. I'm just doing the job. Afterwards, I have a lot of feelings, especially after I got shot. And then we had a respiratory arrest case right afterwards um, that was directly related to the pepper spray that had been put out. And I was the lead medic on that for the first time. I'm not usually the lead on a life or death. And that was my first time being the lead medic, the only medic there on a life or death. And we were having to breathe for and we were doing, um, we didn't even have the bag valve mask yet. You know, we were, it's like, okay, get your face mask out. It's like all of this right after a six hour movie. I can't say I was neutral. In fact, the, I was angry at the hippies and I was at the cops because I think we responded poorly to that situation. I think the law enforcement officers often do this, and they often react poorly. I expect that of them. I expect us to act better. What do you expect people to do to act better? I would hope that we'd have enough presence of mind to keep our hearts and our, and our souls in with our anger, like, and to not act out of our anger, have our anger but not act out of it. And you know, we, there's a way to do non-compliance without having to be angry or violent about it or screaming or threatening. And certainly without putting your dogs or your children in danger, and people were putting their dogs and children in danger, well, one child, not everyone. There was a lot of dogs. Like, I'm, I'm a civil disobedience activist, I've done a lot of civil disobedience in my past, and so I know how to be, how to stand up for what I believe in and choose to risk arrest. You don't take in non-consenting parties like someone too, too young to consent or an animal that doesn't know what it's getting into. And so a lot of the hippies have their dogs following the cops up, and it's like the dogs could get shot. The, you know, the children, there was one person putting his child in danger. So when I came down, I was very, very angry at the people who put other people in danger. What did you do with your anger? Oh, I think it got translated into PTSD, actually. I came back this year with PTSD from that incident, from getting shot, and also from another incident where I had six officers rushing me when I was alone in the parking lot <laughs> with um, automatic weapons. And I've never had it personal before. I've done a lot of peacekeeping, a lot of medicking, and when I've risked arrest, I chose to risk arrest. I've never actually been alone while six officers with automatic weapons <laughs> were rushing me. So that, combined with getting shot, created a lot of nightmares and a lot of other things. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'm just not strong enough. It's not like I'm in Afghanistan, but I'm also not trained to have six people with automatic weapons charging me either. So, I mean, I'm still learning how to work with my anger and how not to act out of anger. I think normally I don't act out of anger under crisis, but it takes a heavy toll on me later. But it is a natural reaction of the human mind to protect itself. And I think one of the things about the human mind is that ideally, if we're not in post-traumatic stress disorder, we should also have other parts of us engaged as well so we make good decisions even with our anger. Anger is a great fuel. It burns hot, but it burns fast and it burns you out. I learned this as an environmental activist and an indigenous rights activist. Anger is a, a very powerful fuel, but there's no way to keep going all your life on it. And I mean, we can do the same actions with different fuel. I'm really curious about forgiveness, and it's asking a lot of the rainbows to forgive what happened last year. What part do you think forgiveness plays here? 
I'm not sure what part it plays other than my knowledge spiritually how important it is to forgive ourselves and to forgive those around us but that's easy to say and a lot harder to internalize I think many of the folks here are really amazing peaceful people and they work on having forgiveness and there's a lot of people who have hate for law enforcement there's but there's a lot of folks really who see them as family and really want them to just take off their guns and join us Anything else you'd like to say about the importance of peace or how it works at the gathering? Well, if you can imagine 20,000 people coming to the same place with the intention to treat each other as family, not just um, the lip speak and not necessarily succeeding in this, but with every single person having an intention to treat each other as family, that's an entirely different environment than I think any of us have experienced anywhere else. And I think you've experienced a little bit of that yourself here. There's, a, there's miracles daily because the intention is that every stranger is a family member, that this is actually home. And that's something when you get 20,000 people doing that as their prayer, as their meditation, whether they succeed or not, whether they're the abused drug user kid who ran away from home or whether it's the engineer who works for NASA, which we have everything here. If they all come together to believe this, then you have some of the most amazing magic you could have in the world right here. And that's why I come back every year. Thanks very much. So I'm here for Main Circle. It's about three giant, make that four, concentric circles. There's white powder on the ground that marks the circle. People are sitting on either side of the circle. It's mostly really young people. There are a few old people, but not that many. I'd say maybe mm, 15, 20%, you would see somebody who looks like they're over 30. It's a giant open field. The edge of the field, surrounded with trees and tents and just happy people everywhere. The most popular colors are gray and brown, dark green, and it's all sprinkled with bright colors. A lot of tie-dye, a lot of knit hats, a lot of drumming percussion instruments, some teepees on the edge. I think I'm going to look for some really quiet people to sit next to. It's phenomenal. There's got to be several thousand people in these giant concentric circles. It's sprinkling now, and the sky is looking like it's really going to rain. My name is Jennifer Simpson. My association here at the gathering is kind of complex. My dear friend Karen has been going to gatherings for 20 plus years and has been trying to get me to go to one for 20 plus years. <laughs> and I almost went to one, I don't know, about 15 years ago. And this one was so close to where I am now, it was kind of hard to say no this time. So it's a little outside of my comfort zone. But Karen is a dear friend and I've heard stories for years. So it's kind of a fun opportunity to check it out myself. What's uncomfortable about it? I'm not um, really one to go around hugging people and saying we love you. <laughs> I grew up in a military family. We're a little more reserved. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, but it's also been really interesting to me seeing, seeing that because there are people that probably no one ever tells them we love you and no one ever tells them welcome home. And it kind of is really kind of moving, actually. What's moving about it? 
Just because I think there's some people that come to the gatherings here um, that probably more mainstream society might look at them as bums. I mean, I'll just be frank. Um, some of them are kind of living on the margins and the fringes, and they may not have strong family and friend support, but they do have that here, and I think that's really neat to see it. How authentic does it feel to you? I think, you know, 98% authentic. <laughs> you know, there's a little bad energy everywhere you go. Um, you know, I've seen a couple people getting upset, and you know, but it's just like any place else, really. I mean, it's, it's in a way, it's sort of the utopian thing, but they've also sort of recreated what there is every, every place else, too. Whenever you have a large group of people that come together, you get some really great people and you get some really bad people and that's just what happens in communities. You were out here in the main area when the LEOs, the law enforcement officers, came out. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm not really sure what happened. They were pretty much just cruising the area and my friend Karen participates in the Shantasina group. So she um, makes it her mission to follow them and to yell six up to warn people that they're coming. And because in the past they've been known to ticket people for relatively minor offenses like dogs off leash and then have it be like a mandatory court appearance down in Albuquerque this time which is kind of a hassle. So I just started following her and they really weren't doing anything. I'm not really quite sure what they were looking for. Um, so I don't know. So I just followed them and they were just kind of walking around and people were shouting six up and guns in the church and they were filming which I think uh, also people find a little offensive here too. Um, I think you should ask permission and you know of course they're probably filming for law enforcement purposes. How did you feel? Did you feel threatened or not? That's kind of hard to say you know uh, there's this in a way yes I mean they're carrying guns they can pretty much do what they want. Were they real guns? They were real guns. A couple of them had real guns. And, um, you know, you don't argue with people with guns. <laughs> At least I don't. So, yeah, I mean, there is a level of intimidation that's there just because of the, relation, the power relationship, you know. Um, I guess in some ways, I'm, I don't know which us I am. So, so I maybe didn't feel as intimidated as some people. Long line of military family here. I'm used to, you know, stern men with guns. <laughs> it's not a new Although thing. My dad was an engineer, so I don't really think he carried a gun. But, you know, the whole, it's the, the attitude is not too dissimilar. Our show is about making peace. What do you expect to learn or take away about peacemaking from the gathering? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, well, one thing I've already kind of taken away is that peace really is a choice. I mean, it's a choice we make every single day in every interaction. You know, when um, I was up here earlier, uh, about 10 days ago, and um, I know there was like a domestic disturbance, <laughs> for lack of a better. And the way they dealt with it here was, you know, instead of like hauling off somebody and arresting them and throwing them in jail, they, you know, they surrounded them and ohmed and talked them down basically, rather than being confrontational. It's more of like a, how can we heal this problem? And I don't know if that's always going to work. <laughs> it would be nice to think it would. And um, I also 
I also really enjoyed hearing um, Garrick Beck speak at the town meeting when he said that, um, you know, we come up here and pray for peace. And, and then he kind of jokingly said, it hasn't worked yet, but, but we're hopeful. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I think that's the other thing to take away from this about peace. You know, okay, probably on the 5th of July, the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan will not be over. I'm not naive, but it can't hurt. <laughs> And to have 10,000 people come together and to try and manifest that kind of intention, I think it's pretty powerful. I mean, you know, one small step can change the world, right? I mean, so that's what I'm trying to take away <laughs> from it. But it's a choice. Thanks. It's alternating between sprinkling and raining. People have their hats on, mostly wool hats. There's lots of dogs on leashes, a lot of raincoats. My bright blue marmot is probably really sticking out. There's teepees with big fires. Drums. My name is Ethan Novikov, and uh, I'm just an attendee today. Where are you from, Ethan? Um, originally, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, but I'm living in Denver right now. Is this your first gathering? It is my first gathering. What prompted you to come? Um, my girlfriend Megan here has been uh, twice, and well, has been once. This is her second time, so she encouraged me to come and uh, has always spoken very highly of this event. So. What was the one thing she said that convinced you to come? Um, I don't know if it was anything she said, but I guess the idea of people expressing their right to assemble was appealing to me. I think it's important to uh, exercise our rights that are guaranteed to us. Um, so I think for that aspect, to the aspect of expressing that right is important. and. Uh, useful in this day and age. Our program is about peacemaking. What do you think you might learn, or what have you learned so far about making peace here that you don't learn in the outside world? Um, well, I suppose out here, you know, everyone's trying to, to do their own thing, but also trying to work together to um, create something that's bigger than all of us and I think that that's a good way to, to view it to not just focus on yourself but on the overall good and the overall mission of peace um, what is that human drive to connect with more than just one person what's What's compelling us to gather like this with huge groups? Uh, I don't know. I suppose it's uh, an innate sense that we have just as mammals and, um, you know, we're a sociable species. You know, we like to be in groups and I think we gain support from each other and other positive emotions when we're in groups and acting peacefully and cooperating. What do you think that is that we get from each other? So what do you get when you look out and you see all these people basically getting along? 
What happens in your brain? I suppose it just, uh, it reminds me that, you know, we're all related. We're all of the same species. You know, we're all basically the, the same thing. Um, and, you know, we're all, we all have similar similar goals but different in life and you know we're all just trying to survive and do our thing and um, express our own free will so I guess I just see everyone kind of being an individual but also being connected as as we are of the same species and I don't know if that answers your question or not it does okay thanks a bunch of guys yeah. Mostly people look a little tired, a little cold. Some people have gotten their food and they're eating. Other people seem to be sitting very patiently waiting. There's beautiful bowls, camping bowls, Tibetan singing bowls, plastic kitty bowls, all different colors and shapes. Yogurt container, I thought about doing that. Here's a woman in black boots, blue jeans, baby blue, blue jean jacket, and she has one of those really thin plastic ring covers on. She's holding probably a one-gallon sterling silver bucket. She has a soup ladle. People are holding out their cups and bowls. She's ladling soup into it. She walks down the line and hits the next person. Looks like a pretty thin broth with some vegetables. People are waiting patiently for her to come around. Looks like greens and maybe some potatoes in there. Everybody's getting about a cup if they're lucky. So they're bringing around salad. It looks like some people have some corn. It looks like the uh, soup is actually quite hot, steamy, and healthy looking. My name is Casey Diaz. Um, I'm a rainbow. Uh, you know, I've I been to a lot of nationals. I enjoy it, you know. I, it, there's a lot of reasons to come here, you know, and I think everybody, it varies just a little bit, but for me it's more about like getting back to the land or like getting away from the cities for a little while and finding some peace through this. Um, I try to learn while I'm here, you know, because there's a lot of things you can learn here from surviving in the woods to just learning guitar, you know, simple things about life, you know, and that it makes it all worth it, you know, to see this many people be able to come together in a peaceful fashion, you know kind of assemble and live and live with the land peacefully for a while and then some of us have to go back to our other lives you know so it's beautiful to see our show is called peace talks and so we're here to learn why what motivates people to come and you talked a lot about the land what does the land do for you that promotes peace um, I'm from Indiana so there's no mountains there you know and it's like this there's no scenery there like this the thi i see cornfields every day you know and i see what 
is happening to the land through the wrong type of farming. You know, it's getting better, but so coming here and seeing this lush, basically untouched part of the country, you know, it, it brings me peace to know that it still exists and that there are more people trying to make more of this land, you know, or like return some of the old land to how it was. Talk about that experience of peace that you get here, sitting on the earth, that you don't get at home. What does it feel like? Um, it's, it's calming, you know. I, I think the 4th of July is a perfect example here. You know, there's probably, there'll be 25,000 people here tomorrow. Everyone's going to come out here together and sit in complete silence, you know, for most of the day. And then the children will come in the middle and we'll ohm and, you know, kind of break apart. But it's like that ohm, you have 20,000 people holding hands in a beautiful scenery and all ohming together. It's, it's undeniable, you know, I mean, there's no, you can't deny the feeling of peace and togetherness that comes from something that large. What would you say to critics that say, oh, it's just temporary or it's a bunch of freaks, it's a bunch of hippies, it doesn't have any meaning, it doesn't last? You know, I, it's not true, you know, I mean, I can, I can understand that some people will see that and part of it is they've never experienced it, you know, I mean, the rainbow, there's been, the first rainbow gathering was in 71. There was unofficial ones prior to that. So it's obvious that it's not just a flash in the pan. You know, we're, we're all proof of that. It, you know, it's, it's getting bigger, not smaller. And I think with the way the economy and our country is going, more people are opening their ears and eyes to situations like this because they, they've seen there needs to be some kind of change. Um, personally, I, I do not agree with all of the rainbow ideas, you know, but I, I do agree with, with the essential cores of the ideas, you know, the basic ideas. What's the essential core that you really believe in for the gathering? As far as here, I mean, leaving the land how we found it, you know, there will be people here a month after everybody's gone cleaning this up picking out the little pieces of toilet paper out of the shitters, you know, tearing everything down, just walking around, picking up trash. And, you know, <coughs> sorry, since we promote living with the land, we try to lead by example in that way. And if we can't do that, then everything after that doesn't mean anything, you know? If we can't hold our most basic idea to live with the land peacefully and leave it as we were, then, all the details after that, you know, mean nothing. Describe the tattoo on your back. It I, says HIV positive. I couldn't read it because oh, I'm so. sitting I'm sitting next to you, so I just wanted you to describe it. Oh yeah. It's about how big? Um, it goes all the way across my back, so I don't know, 24, 25 inches, something. It's prominent on my back, you know. I mean, and usually when I wear T-shirts, the HIV part sticks out. Um, I, I try to bring my, my message about that here. I, you know, I wear a sign on my front usually that states the same thing. Um, I'm not trying to scare people. I just, I just want them to think about it and be more aware. You know, I mean, it's just about making smarter decisions so you don't end up in my situation, you know. I, I don't want to see my friends and family go through potentially what I will. 
Um, and there are a lot of people out here maybe don't consider the possibility. I'm the only person here with this tattoo, but I'm not the only person here with HIV. You know, I've had a number of people come up to me and tell me they also have HIV, you know, because I'm open about it. You know, and I just, I just want them to be more comfortable. You know, I fight against the stigma of what it is. You know, people think if you get HIV, your life is over, and people give up. And I, I try to, I try to show them that that's not true. You, I still have a life. I'm far from, you know, over. You know. You look really healthy. Thank you. I, I. I, I am pretty healthy. I stay pretty healthy. I'm not on HIV medication, um, but I just try to eat right, exercise, you know, but that's the core for anybody, any, you know, even regular people's health, you know, you have to eat right, you have to have physical activity and try to keep your stress down. How accepting would you say are most people? Or what kind of reaction do you get? Because that's one thing that's promoted in the gathering is inclusivity. Nobody's outer. Sadly enough, I get about the same reaction here that I do in the rest of the world. The majority of the people are happy for what I'm doing. A lot of people just have honest questions that they want to ask, that they're afraid to ask people. But if they know that I have HIV, they're more comfortable asking me. You know, I get a few people who are like, why would you ever do that? You know, like, there's people, you know, I mean, there's people who are like, it's a lie, it's a scam by the government, you know, and I, I know I have a virus in my body, you know, but I just try to give them the information, and if, if they don't accept it, it's, there's nothing I can, you know, I mean, I'm not here to force it on people, you know, I'm just, I just want people to think more about their actions, you know because that translates into the rest of the world. You know, I mean, it makes the world a better place, not just for HIV, but for everything. You know, and that's, that's what it's about to me. My main message is HIV, but the cores of what I believe in spread throughout every, every life, you know? Here comes the soup kettle. Yeah. Hot soup. Casey, thanks so much for talking. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Would you like some salad? Absolutely. Would you like some salad? Yeah, thanks. So I'm wondering, would you guys be willing to be interviewed briefly? Sure. Um, for okay. broadcast and webcast? Sure. Kelsey Erickson, or you can call me Mushroom. Ashley or Star. <laughs> Mushroom and Star. All right. Tell our <laughs> listeners what you two look like. Uh, mud people. <laughs> mud, mud monsters. Wrestling. Mud monsters. Mud, mud nymphs. Mud, mud nymphs. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And um, so, what's going on with your hair? Uh, well, it is a flaming red mohawk, but at the moment it is caked up with mud. <laughs> and I do have this rainbow colored braid, but you can't really tell. It's a mud at this lock. point. It's a mud lock. And I have a full set of mud locks. Now, how do you get so much mud to stick? How do you do that? You mud wrestle. Mud wrestle. <laughs> Where did you do that? At um, Dirty Kids Camp. Oh, there's a Dirty Kids Camp. Dirty Kids Camp. Okay. You guys look fantastic. What does it feel like to be covered in mud? Oh, it feels really good. good. <laughs> Our show is about making peace. What does mud have to do with peace? Well, it's Earth. <laughs> 
It's the Earth Mother. She's peaceful, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys are the Earth. There's no yeah. distinction, right? Right. Okay, so what is the most important? Is this your first, second, third, tenth gathering? What is it? Third for me. Yeah, it's my second. And so with a third gathering, what do you take back besides, um, you know, some muddy shoes? What's the most important thing that you learn and keep with you from a gathering? Just love everybody and share it and enjoy it and pass it on. We can change the world. <laughs> Is that easy to do when you get back to work and people are jerks? And Can you really hold on to the feeling of fun and love? The rainbow, the rainbow feeling stays with you forever. I mean, it, the, the magic stays with you real strong for, you know, a month or so, and it, but it's always there, and you can always Attraction. tap into it. Yeah. yeah, and you meet ra rainbow people everywhere. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Tell me one story when you're back in Babylon and something's really making you mad. How do you tap into the peace? How do you remember it? And how does it change your behavior to calm down? Well, for instance, okay, so I have a flaming red mohawk, right? So this is kind of this pol polar thing that happens where people either love it or they hate it, right? So I get a lot of, like, really strange looks. And I've learned that if I just give them the biggest, most heartfelt grin, they melt. They melt. And people respond to love. I hope you two just continue having tons of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Loving you. Loving, Loving you. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hello. Those girls were covered with mud from head to toe. I could see their eyeballs, and that was about it. They were adorable. My name is Joyce, and my association with the gathering is that I... Um, like to come here? So I know you don't represent all African Americans, but it's so white here, I have to wear shades. What is going on? Where are the people of color? Um, I think that, well, there are some people of color here. Um, it is predominantly white, though, I think for a lot of reasons, um, because the hippie movement in general is pretty a white movement. Um, they're pretty white. Let me stop you there. Why is the hippie movement mostly white? Uh, well, okay, like, talking to my mother, like, I'm uh, a black woman, and talking to my mom, uh, we used to argue about feminism a lot. She had no room for it, and finally one day I was like, but mom, you are totally a feminist. And she, once I explained to her what, what it was, it made sense to her. But because she grew up in, you know, the 60s and 70s when feminism was becoming, um, you know, a bigger movement, it didn't include women of color, and so my mom really didn't care for it. The problems that white women at that time were facing, it was mostly uh, middle class, you know, white uh, women problems, and not, not necessarily things that um, applied to women of color, women of poverty. So I think as far as uh, the hippie movement kind of is similar to that, as far as um, it's, it is very inclusive, but I can understand why some people of color don't feel that it is, or have other priorities, um, like you know they can't take off three weeks to go to the woods, or you know a week or whatever, because they have their job and they have to take care of their family and provide for their family, and they have other concerns rather than coming to the forest. 
to, um, you know, do whatever people imagine it is that people do at Rainbow Gatherings. Basically, what do you do here? Well, um, today I did some yoga, and I was in a, a circle, a bunch of people talking about um, things that were important to us, um, just camping out, meeting a lot of people, learning, learning a lot from older people who have been part of the Rainbow family for a long time, um, learning about the values that keep people coming back. What would you say those values are? Um, peace, equality, uh, environmentalism, uh, there's, um, you know, I've heard some people say that it's kind of damaging to the National Forest for so many people to come out and live on one small space and, you know, there's no uh, plumbing, so there's, you know, the poop problem and water problem and all that. Um, but people stay afterwards and make sure that everything is the way it is and make sure that all the trash is picked up if, you know, people are, you know, don't care and leave trash behind. There's people that come up behind and clean it up. So um, taking care of the earth, respect for the earth, and respect and love for every person. How welcomed do you feel, or is it difficult to be surrounded by, let's, wouldn't you admit, 95% white people? Well, I'm from North Dakota, so it's not really a problem. Pretty used to it. <laughs> but um, there, there is just so much um, emphasis on loving each other that it really doesn't matter. And everybody is welcome, regardless of their race or sexuality, or even if you, um, you know, do have some uh, value disagreements or, you know, whatever. Everybody's welcome and everybody's loved. Can I ask you a couple more questions? You're being great. So, are you basically saying that in a way the hippie movement is sort of irre irrelevant to African Americans? No, no, I definitely don't think that. I think that, um, you know, and this is all projection because I didn't, I wasn't alive in the 60s, but it seems that um, the hippie movement started off very genuine and really about peace and love and things like that. But then after a while, it kind of became a fashion statement, as a lot of things do. Um, environmentalism became, you know, free Tibet became a fashion statement. You know, like a lot of a lot of causes become fashion statements after a while. And then it's people of upper classes, people of leisure, who have the money, who are able to take part in those movements because they don't need to provide for themselves. And so there are other people who you know, um, aren't of that, like, uh, aren't that type of person, people who genuinely are impoverished, but still choose to live this way because it is a very, um, well, it's a very easy way to live. You don't really need a lot of money if you don't focus on, you know, materialism. So I think, I don't think it's irrelevant at all to answer your question. I don't think that it's relevant to people of color. I think that um, it's just that there's uh, a lot of question about what it really is and what, you know, hippies do. And I can understand how people of color or people who um, are in poverty don't feel like it's something that they could be a part of. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Yes, I'm Maya Tadarita. Oh my gosh. Where are you from, Maya? I'm from Tucson. <laughs> How many gatherings have you been to? Uh, 
think, including this one, too. What do you like about him best? It's gathering. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new verb. How old are you? I'm eight. What's most fun about the gathering? It has a lot of activities and so many people share peace. Our show is about peace. How do you experience peace when you're at the gathering? What does it feel like in your body? It feels like a warm hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> you're the mom. How long have you been coming to gatherings? I first went to a gathering in Missouri in 1985 when I was 20. What was your motivation? Back then? Oh gosh, friends had told me that it was fun and I wanted to see where all the hippies went. <laughs> Do you consider yourself a hippie? You know, that's a funny question. I'm, I'm not old enough to have been an official hippie, but people younger than me think I am. <laughs> Would you call yourself a hippie? Sometimes I do. What are the positives of being a hippie? Um, I guess you're not as bound to the social customs of non-hippiedom. <laughs> like, what are one or two of those customs? Oh, gosh. It depends on where you are, you know, but um, I like that here uh, you can nurse your baby and not worry about somebody staring at you weirdly. It's a freedom that you can have or... Heck, you can even, you know, take your own shirt off if you want. <laughs> have you been known to do that? You gotta start off. I have from time to time. I got these kids. What a great feeling of freedom. It's so unusual, isn't it, in our culture, that you can be around other people naked. Yeah, it shouldn't be so strange. But the weather here isn't real inviting for that anyway. So. It's a little chilly. Um, what do your friends in Babylon say about, oh, she's taking her kids to the rainbow gathering? Is that a, a, they like that or not? At this point in my life, most of my friends probably have taken their kids to rainbow gatherings too. But the rest of my family that hasn't been to a rainbow gathering sort of accepts it as one of the things that I do. They can go on cruise ships and have fun and I can go to rainbow gatherings. <laughs> What's the part that you look forward to the most? Meeting old friends that I haven't seen you know, because we all live in different parts of the, you know, we're not as connected as we could be, and so it's just nice to run into an old friend that I haven't seen in a long time. And just having the time to sit down and have a cup of tea with him. <laughs> it seems like um, one of the ideas behind the gathering is it's a, it's a utopia, and we're all going to get along and everything's going to be peaceful, but that's really impossible, isn't it? Well, a utopia is sort of a perfect word, isn't it? So, of course, it's going to be impossible. But, you know, if we get together like this and we practice, then we can only get better at it. And what, are you, what encourages you about what people are practicing? What in particular do people do differently that they don't do back in their regular lives? Well, because this gathering is a, a long walk in, I think we're recycling our containers. I see a lot of, you know... Recycling going on, a lot of people reusing things in an interesting way. I saw a piece of uh, fencing being used as a volleyball net. <laughs> you know, that's pretty good. I, I just like the way people uh, are more self-auto-autonomous, you know, self-sustaining self here. We seem to take care of ourselves in small groups better than we would back there. Thank <laughs> you.
We're staying over in Kitty Village, and and uh, my wife really wanted to come, and I, and I did too. And I'm glad I did. It was kind of hard to, to take off work. I'm a business owner in uh, in Tucson, and uh, so it was kind of hard to let go for a minute and come up here and enjoy the the beautiful. But I'm so glad glad I did because the altitude and the trees and the air and everything feels really good. And I'm looking forward to being really refreshed when I get back home and have to run my business. We make microphones, so broadcast microphones, as, as a matter of fact. What's most important to you about the gathering in terms of peacemaking and nonviolence? Well, I think it's important to be kind to people and educate them. You know, there's a, there's people of all different levels of growth here, and some of the people are, are really very spiritually connected, and other people, uh, we're just trying to help them out and tolerate, you know, them and, and sort of gently um, encourage them into more peaceful ways and, and, and by loving them, you know, and, and, and being kind and, and sweetness and gentleness. And we're trying to teach that for our children. And, and it, we think that peace really starts with us. If, if you want to have peace in the world, then we need to make peace within ourselves so that, so that we have a calm spirit and then learn to have that in, in your own family and then in your own community. And then it grows from there. So one person at a time. What behaviors are you most concerned about that people ha aren't fully evolved and they're doing here at the gathering? Well, I, th I just think it's it's good to encourage people to um, to to use good language and and if there's you know ask them not to use profanity, especially around children and and, and most people are doing that. Most people are really peaceful and loving. And then you know, there's the small percentage of people that are attracted to this that they just aren't aren't ready to be that peaceful yet. And but they're learning and they want to. So we're, we're trying to help them and and love them and be be kind so just, that just seeing that this whole thing is possible. Just seeing looking around and seeing what's happening I think it it gives people a greater sense that it's possible that it can happen yeah and it is happening and you know one of the things too that uh, I've been encouraging people to really be kind to law enforcement and and to love them and think of their families when they're walking through and and to, to smile and and I think that that helps and and so far what I've seen inside the gathering is uh, with regard to law enforcement is I, I don't know of any incidents that that have been violent with the, with law enforcement everything has been pretty good so far um, and so you know it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of work to be responsible spiritually and to promote peace and you know when you hear someone jive in somebody it's you know it's just good to talk to them and, and just step in and try to help them understand that the kinder, gentler ways are going to help us to achieve our goal. You know, I am interested in that because the culture here is that if you see something happening that you think is inappropriate, it's okay to, to walk up and say something and ask people to change their behavior. Is Absolutely. that true? And then, but is that kind of a scary thing to do? Or do you, what kind of response do you get when you go up and try to ask somebody to change their behavior? Well, it depends on how you how you approach them. If you approach them with love and gentleness, most often um, you can sort of break through the 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 anger and 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 get them to to see that you're just trying to help them out and become calm and and, and, and rational. And so you're relatively successful at that. Well, I think so. I mean, I don't go around all day just trying to like help people fix themselves because if I start doing that then 
then I'll find myself broken before long. But, uh, but, but you know, I really do just try to be gentle with people, and and then, you know, if they don't, if they're not ready to take it in a, in a gentle way, then it becomes obvious, and you just move on and let it go. W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. If you uh, are listening to us, it's because you are subscribing. Either A, you're subscribing to us uh, by our podcast name, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, or you're listening to us right now on Mutiny Radio. It's Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. You know, if they subscribe or if they're listening on Mutiny Radio, we really don't need to pitch them on the show. Jesus, I spent $2 million on promotion. I fucked up. Yeah, that could have been money. You know, we could have had donuts in the break room, something else. Uh, yeah, the donuts are kind of stale in the break room. What's yeah. up with that? It's, I thought we hired interns. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, did you get your free uh, donut for your shot? <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Basically, I love movies, and I uh, before YouTube, I would read about these weird movies, and that's it. I would just read about them. I would read the synopsis and who directed them. Now, thanks to YouTube, we can watch them on the ready. So our podcast is just that. We pick a movie that we've always heard about, and we watch it in real time with you. You watch the movie, sound off, listen to us, sound on, <laughs> off, and it syncs up. How crazy is that? And of course, I mentioned Mutiny Radio, delightful station. We're on yeah. it first, every Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern, set your clock. Mutiny Radio has some great programming here in San Francisco's Mission District. Uh, and we would love for you to go to the website, pick a, uh, find a good show, subscribe to it, and also donate. There's a Donate Now button right there. A donut. Uh, <laughs> you stopped talking about donuts, Curly? Sorry. sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Listen, there's a half dozen or a dozen or a big dozen reasons why you say, oh, goddamn donuts. Uh, <laughs> let's not think about glazed donuts. So, uh, yeah, you can go donate through the station or you go to Venmo and donate money at Mutiny Radio. 
Carl. When you go to the donut button, you put money through the hole. <laughs> God. I can't okay. stop thinking about it. <laughs> okay. Donuts. You know, right now my stomach is jelly filled. Um, okay. We are watching Dreamer. 1979. I think that's what you're asking me. That's what you put in the YouTube yeah. search engine. Dreamer. 1979. There's lots of films. Dreamer and refer to Dreamer and Dreamer in the title. Put in <laughs> 1979. We All like right. the channel Arlo Marcucci. All right. Arlo Marcucci is hosting the movie, which yeah. if you don't want to listen to us talk over it, you could just go to the source. But uh, too late now. Go ahead. Click the button. Hit pause. Move the timer the, to zero 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 by moving to the left. Did you do it yet? Oh, All right, we're gonna it. watch this movie on the same time. Now I'm very excited. Carl has found Carl has traveled the world. He has left his comedy domain of New Jersey, right, and found fresh talent, international fresh talent. Uh, I don't know who this person is. Yeah, we uh, met in the Andes. We met in the Andes, and we hit it right off right away because he's also from Jersey. Oh, well, what a coincidence. Another comedian from New Jersey going to do our Celebrity Comedian Countdown. Carl, take it away. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with our comedian, Goldberg. <laughs> Welcome, Goldberg. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Now, it was... It was the beginning of the new year in 2019, and you reached out on Facebook to anyone who would listen I want to do comedy collaboration this year. And I was one of the only people who reached out to you. That's true. I really had a desire to do a comedy collaboration. I think that we're better, people are better when they work in with other people. And uh, I think comics seem to want to work alone. And I think that's a big mistake. Agree. Now, we got together, we had a little comedy troupe, but they were flaky, and it ended up in the end, you and I became writing partners. Yes, we did. We even have a great little show that we're trying to sell right now, right, called? Called Life's Last Laugh Lessons, and it's about, um, honestly, it, it really is about just um, the importance of laughing in life and how... You know, we get over our adversity and things that happen to us by laughing and by finding humor in things that we don't often find humor in. Um, and I think that's really important, especially in these times. I, I, to me, it's a terrific concept. It's got legs. It, it's a, you know, a story vehicle that can really last. And it was your brainchild. And I think it's wonderful. So I thank you for that. Thank you. So you only go, okay, I only go by my first name in comedy. You only go by your last name. Yes, I do. Well, uh, actually, that started about uh, a year and a half ago. Um, I decided to uh, become a kippah-wearing Jew, mm -hmm. uh, where I uh, went to Israel. And Israel is a beautiful country by the way, um, and it's interesting that everyone fights over Israel, which is kind of ridiculous because it's the uh -huh. size of New Jersey. And uh, if a bunch of Jews took over New Jersey, you know what the other 49 states would say? Thank you, that's what they do. <laughs> um, but I decided, and I found that uh, really embracing my Jewish identity and 
once I started wearing a kippah, everyone kept calling me Goldberg anyway, irrelevant <laughs> of whether they knew my name or not. So I kind of uh, let that stick with me. I thought you were wearing it because you were a kippah upping with the Jonesbergs. <laughs> okay, yeah. so this pandemic has really affected comedy. It's affected you personally. And where I see you most of the time is out there on Zoom. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, a lot of people are uh, saying it, this has hurt comedy. And I, I don't know, I feel different. I f feel it's, if you want to, it's really helped comedy. I've uh -huh. had the uh, opportunity to perform from shows emanating from Israel, a couple shows from England, certainly shows from California, shows from Malaysia. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, really all around the world. I think it's, it's uh, you know, probably for the bigger comics, obviously, like Seinfeld or something like that, it's hurt. Yeah. But for comics who, who really have, haven't had the opportunity to perform on a broader stage, I think it's really helped. And, you know, I don't know how much longer we're going to be in this pandemic, even though it's coming to an end, but um, I really think comics out there should take advantage of it and really uh, go into Zoom. I find the Zoom shows very entertaining, very funny, people getting to their punchlines a lot quicker. Um, you know, I like it. You know, yeah. other people have, have issues with it. And you had a you had but you had a big show out there in L.A. with a pretty famous com comedy club. Yes, Flappers. I do um, uh, Flappers a couple times. I've done Flappers actually three times already. Mm. Um, and it's just an opportunity to really uh, touch base. I mean, as a comic here in New Jersey, you go to open mics or you go to shows and you see the same faces, right? And hear the same jokes, but now with Zoom, you can. Uh, literally hear jokes from around the world, try your jokes on, out around the world, see how it fits. Um, I've been doing a lot of shows in England uh, and really have made some good friends from English comics. That is super cool. Something that couldn't have happened pre-pandemic. Not at all. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube with everyone at home, and they got to press the play button at the same time as we do. So Goldberg, why don't you hit us with that celebrity comedian countdown. Three, two, one, go. That was terrific. Thank you for that comedian celebrity countdown. Yeah, so funny. So funny. Well, we're back to the regular show. Oh, I got the sound cranking. Oh, look, they did that thing where they're both uh, headliners, but they kind of tilted. <laughs> and right. A lot of ego in that credit. A lot of ego. Look at Jack Warden getting his own credit. What a douchebag. Yeah, really. You, you think you get your own stance Holy. alone. Now, what we're seeing here uh, is just a history of bowling, as if it was some documentary. And you hear the stupidest music, which is supposed to be old-timey, but it just is annoying. I'll play it. You, you don't like that old-timey? You, you feel like you're at ground round and you want another uh, bowl of uh, pretzels, of wow. uh, peanuts. Right, that's like da, 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 ba, da, ba. everyone's drinking tub gin. Da, ba, da, ba, do, ba. Oh, tub, tub, tub gin. Tub, tub. <laughs> oh, Bill Conti. Well, yeah, see, he did Rocky. Uh, yeah, that's appropriate because this movie's Rocky. 
it's Rocky of the Bowling? Oh, Rocky came out like the year before. Right. When I say Rocky bowl of the Bowling, I don't mean Bowling Winkle. I mean... He's an underdog bowler. Rocky and Bowling Winkle. I don't think I've ever asked you this during the opening credits, because I know you've seen the film. Does he yeah. win at the end? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's not really like Bowling. It's not really Rocky. Rocky loses at the end. Yeah, well, that's right. Rocky loses at the end, which was really a great, great choice. And I applaud. I think Bob. No. Who no. You reap, you, reap, you reap what you sow. Had they just won, we would not have seven more sequels plus a uh, spinoff, right? Right. They've been catching that high ever since. Fuck that movies. Well, the thing is, it, it, like, you go to see them because you're obligated or you do a couple years later. You know what I mean? And... I don't know. The first one was the real one. The other first one's, one was the real one. Yeah, but the other ones sometimes brought you entertainment and value, you know? Okay, well, let's break it down. Rocky 2, same movie, but he wins. Same movie. Right. Rocky 3 is the best one. It has Mr. T. It has Hulk Hogan. It's, yeah. got, it's got bells and whistles. Wait, is that right? the one with Martin the guys from Russia? No, that's 4. That's okay. Dolph Lundgren 4. Okay. And he kills Apollo Creed. Right, and, and so he had this personal. Oh, right, wasn't that's what like, I mean. Uh, it, uh, that's what I mean. Like that gave you some entertainment, good old Rocky. Yeah, and then those Rocky Five, which I fucking love your version on Fish Burgers, where uh, Rocky has stick a move. Oh, stick a move the head. Oh wait, no I got to say something for the plot, and then we'll sure. Okay, I guess. Okay, this guy, his real life name is Dick Weber, and he's a big bowling guy. But he's pretending to be another person. And that kid will be our star, Tim Matheson. This is a flashback. Or not, it's, I don't know, we're back in the day in which he right. was doing the pins for the greatest bowler ever. The guy he'll eventually beat. He's just a pin monkey. He is a pin monkey. Let me tell you something about the bowling in this movie, Mike. You will see strike, 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 strike. He got a strike! All the way until the very last contest when they just have to do some drama. Every time anyone bowls in this movie, except for this one old man who dies, it's a strike. Wow. I'm, I actually like this new Carl, where you ruined the movie for me. <laughs> before the director by credit. Yeah, well, I mean, these guys are professionals. They're not going to be like, you know, give you a 710 split on the camera. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, can we do that again? Yes, we can, sir. Yes. You did not get a strike. Roll him. Wow, look at that. He's got ashtrays. What else you got to do as a pin monkey? That's what year it was. So we were saying Rocky. I like the. I thought Rocky four, but maybe it's five or six or something. He fights that Tommy boxer in the street, and the Don King characters going crazy because they're kind of going to make a penny off of this. They're going to fight. Oh, I think that's the sixth one, Rocky Balboa. Uh huh. Yeah, because that has kind of. I don't know. You know, I, I honestly, if you want to know my opinion about Sylvester Stallone, he's a fucking ripoff. Yeah. Any Sylvester Stallone movie in the last 25 years yeah. was a waste of time. Yep. Yeah. Wood in the Head, Expendables, right. uh, The Rockies. God bless everyone involved in Creed, but that's another fucking ripoff. It's so yeah. fucking scary, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's I, really I love tragic. everyone involved. Yeah. Okay, uh -oh. Sylvester Stallone, when he first came, okay, we'll have to talk about the stupid movie. You see his thumb there is hurt? Yeah. Okay, so what this does is 
even though he's having a problem, he's pushing on because he's dedicated and driven. And what this does is it sets up in our movie like he's going to have an issue going forward. He's at the next tournament. It's coming. It's happening again. But that never happens. Thanks to these writers, it never happens. So do you think the writers are just like giving these guys too much of a break? Like there's no real, real yes. drama? Yes. The trauma in this movie is going to be boyfriend, girlfriend fighting. Now, the writers, one of them's for real with 11 credits. He did a Grizzly Adams movie. <laughs> he wrote for Little House in the Prairie and the Waltons. He was for real. This other oh. guy, James Proctor, only has this as a writing credit. And then William Whitliffe didn't get credited, but he punched it up. And he's like the perfect storm and Barbosa and yeah. Hockey, Honeysuckle Rose, Legends of the Fall. He's for real. He's so, for real. Everybody who made this movie was for real. They really thought they had a giant, huge hit on their hands with how popular bowling was in America at that second. Yeah. And don't forget, Animal House came out a year before. Matheson was like, yes. Hit. He was a, even though this is not a comedy, he still was a knowable face. He was a bankable box yeah. office draw. They believed, they believed. I mean, his part wasn't strong enough in Otter. You mentioned that one of the writers wrote for Grizzly Adams and Little House. In the yeah. I've seen the Little House in the Prairie episode. Talk. That's the one where a bear comes. <laughs> it's the same story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is this now, his uh his RV? His tour bus? No, it's no, it's he's not a famous bowler. He is coming up through the ranks. He's excellent. He's got 196 average. He's had it for several years. He's competing in the low levels, but he's not in the PBA. That's what you need if you oh. want to get in the ring with Apollo Creed. You need peanut butter and apple. Yes. They go well. They go well. Yeah, not the butter, Granny Apollo. Smith. Not the Granny Smith. Yeah, like Apollo, a Rocky Six. Fucking Adrian dies. He has like a restaurant called Adrian's or something like that. It's like, okay, why so could you just call... What was Talia Shire doing? You know, you can't even recall. Well, is that the one where he's really old and he has the son who's yeah. a, a, a man? And, yeah. Right, and he has to appeal to the boxing community. Okay, that movie was over and over inspirational speeches. There were more, were there three, I guess? Or Yeah, he gives a couple in Creed, too. He shows up and he says, Creed Jr., uh, here's an inspirational speech. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, have you ever seen the movie Grudge Match with Sylvester Stallone and Robert De Niro? Is it the 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 hand, uh, arm wrestling one? No, that's over the top with our oh, friend, okay. the, with the boy from uh, Going Bananas. No, right. uh, Grudge Match came out maybe ten years ago, and it was about two boxers fighting for a celebrity match. Yeah. So you have the guy who played Rocky Marciano uh, fight the guy who played Rocky Balboa. Okay. Right, 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 right. I did that see came, that. It came out Christmas Day. Perfect, perfect, perfect for our film. Yeah. For our movie. Now, is he going to meet the railroad children or what? <laughs> no. What we're going to learn now is everybody loves him. Oh, look at this town. It's so yeah. 70s. <laughs> it's Illinois. Oh, it's uh, one moment. Chicago? It's Alton, Illinois. They spent four weeks in Alton, Illinois, and then they moved on to St. Louis, Missouri, because both cities are like 
I don't know, centers for bowling enthusiasts, you know? Cool. Well, we should mention this is the third film by a director that whose name we don't bother to remember. Uh, we have done two of his other films. <laughs> Las Vegas Lady was Noel Nosek. I like this guy. He's no. weird. Mm-hmm. He's weird. Okay, well, unlike the other two movies, this one has a plot that makes sense. I mean, yeah. basically, Rocky wrote it. Not really, not really. It's like the Mighty Ducks wrote it. It's like every sports film you ever saw. The underdog tale. Yeah, well, no, he's never an underdog. He's always a winner. It's it's a bad vehicle for him. He, he really should be an underdog. Yeah, like, why are we watching this movie? We only watch movies about losers. Now, a lot of my research was bolstered by bowling enthusiasts on the internet and their bowling Uh sites and stuff and reviews. And I got to tell you, I got a lot of useless information. Lay it on me, man. I would love to hear bowling information. No, like it was um, Dick Weber Lanes and it was the Eastville Bowl. Now it's called West County Lanes in Eldsville, Missouri. Uh, my father was one of the PBA board members in the movie. I remember him showing me the check he got for 25 bucks. Well, that's a lot in 1970. No, it's not. <laughs> that's the quality of research I have for you. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. <laughs> Listen, if it wasn't for that guy's dad, we were nothing. Okay, you see the guy on the left eating at the restaurant that Toothpick he's holding? My father worked for the company that manufactured that toothpick. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Only on LWAFLMOYT can you find this out. Now look, he's got his trophy in his hands, and he goes, Burgess Meredith, are you in there? Burgess Meredith! No, it's me, Jack Warden. I can't afford Burgess Meredith. <laughs> hey, kid! Look at him. He's, I don't think this guy's ever worn pants. You know, he's the kind of person, like, you can never not like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he looks like a lot of other character actors. Like, I get yeah. him and Vincent Cardellia mixed up. But Jack Warren is so funny. He was born he's... in Newark, New Jersey. Yay, us! Yay, us. Yay, Jersey. I heard when he moved there, everyone rioted. It's true. <laughs> everyone brought Those were the Newark riots. Yeah. They said, where's Warden? Warden? Uh, shouldn't make fun of the Newark riots. It's still too soon. It's too soon? That was when Martin Luther King died. It was true, yeah. Well, is that 63? When was it? 68? 68. Because it was, it was him and Robert Kennedy that got assassinated that year. Oh, okay. So I was two years old, uh, so that means 57 years ago were the New York riots. It is enough time, Michael. Let the joke burn. So this director, he we saw two of his films, right? We saw uh, Los Angeles Lady and then, oh, King Vegas. of the Mountain, which is La- Los Angeles. Yeah. So Los- we've watched Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and now, like, right. Chicago, Midwest. Well, it's, yeah, it's Illinois and, Saint, and, and, and Saint Missouri. Louis. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like the topics he picks. You know what I mean? Like, they seem so insular, like the worlds. Like, whether you're a racer or you're a bowler, a professional bowler. Or, uh, so, like, in Las Vegas, ladies, it was the the clique that were going to do the robbing. 
Right. It was the secret behind the scenes guy who turned out to be the boyfriend. It was the evil boss. It doesn't make any sense. It does not make. And you know, you make such a great point in that movie is that his the boss has henchmen who like I want you to go shoot this guy across the street. Oh right. yeah, boss. And you're like, dude, you just work at the place. You don't have to leave the location. Right. The Remember he smacked the worker? Smacked him in his face. Like, it was a crime yeah. organization. He should file something. Oh, look, he's at the ball shaving. Oh, there he is. There's the kid. Hey, That's hey right. kid. How did it go? Oh, it's like I said, I won. Wahoo! Everybody likes oh. the kid. Kid, tell us how you did, but don't use a fucking bowling pun. Uh, uh. I got to split. God damn you. <laughs> Spare me your bowling pins. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Bowling puns. Okay, so they just kissed on the lips. Yeah, well, they they like each other. Well, These guys yeah, kissed but they're not boyfriend and girlfriend. They're boyfriend and flow. Beatrice right. from Malice. It's, yeah, or progressive or something. Oh, well, yeah, right. Now flow is progressive. But back in the day, kiss my grits. Right. Kiss my grits, Mel. Clean shaven. Full haven. You know, uh, I got myself some boxers. Man, that is a ball haven. They just... They, they look... <laughs> now, here we have the guy I noticed first in Splash. Find uh, I have corn. I haven't seen Splash. Oh, really? That's a mistake. This is Richard B. Shaw, and he is George Taylor. He's the boss of the bowling alley. And from our show, he was in Cockfighter. Okay. Well, yeah, he definitely looks like one of those crazy mugs. Well, you must have seen him in Private Parts as the uh, father. Well, Howard Stern's father? Yeah. I order you. No, no. He was no. He was the DJ who went crazy. Um. Yeah, that's right. All right. Okay, what about Clute? You remember Clute? Well, I don't yeah, remember you know, his part, though. I hate Clute. Listen, you really need to stop what you're doing right now and go watch Splash. Well, you know you know the story that uh, Splash is on Disney+, Plus, uh -huh. and you can't see Daryl Hannah's 1983 booty. Really? They, the crack? They CGI'd Ivy over it. Oh, wow. That's dumb, because... That was part of the, you know, she come, she was at the Statue of Liberty, right? She comes out of the water, and you saw the crack of her butt. And it was her. Come on, Disney. For history. Uh, show us a little Daryl Hannah butt from the 80s, huh? Don't make me watch. Uh, for for posterity. The, wait, po posterior? For posterior. Yeah, for posterior's sake. <laughs> <laughs> we want butts. Yeah, so I, I should see it. I know, like, you know, I, I've heard this discussion before about the film that it's, like, kind of inappropriate because, like, John Candy writes letters to Penthouse and stuff like that. I've yeah. But John Candy's great. I think so. He did uh, Volunteers with John Can uh, Tom Hanks. Did he do another movie? Not Stripes. Uh, no, uh, he, Tom Hanks was not. Him and Tom Hanks were only in two movies. Right? Volunteers and Splash. They were definitely in Splash together, and you need to see that film. Volunteers, I'm not remembering. It's a Peace Corps uh, parody. Yeah, I love that film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can remember. Yeah, that's a great film. That's what they, they brainwashed John Candy, and he became, like, overzealous communist, and they were, like, so irritated with him. 
Yeah, at the end of the movie, they're speaking another language, and the characters look at the subtitles of the film. Like, <laughs> got ten minutes left of this movie, and they're doing subtitle jokes. And I'm just like, yeah, why not? You know? <laughs> now, this is Karen Lee. She's the girlfriend. Her name's Ooh, Michelle Piper in real life. She looks like it, right? Yeah. For our show, she was in Concord Airport 80. 79. Well, it is 79. That's right. I guess it was 80 in other places. It was, uh, they started using, the sequel started using the year of release, and it was like every two years. I, I have it written down here as 79, but for some reason I remember they made it 80. Yeah. Now this woman, her name is uh, Susan Blakely, and she, she hit in the towering inferno, really. Um, right. She was on Rich Man poor man that and she got a golden globe it was like a big deal uh she was in the sylvester stallone arm wrestling movie over the top right with our boy with our boy stallone i gotta yeah. say about sylvester stallone it was so promising i mean he had done death race and he had been in yeah. like the um flatbush lords of flatbush but then when Lord rocky Buckles came out excellent Rocky was like a real fucking movie. It was a story, and it was written like by Barton Fink, you know, give me a boxing picture, and he spelled <laughs> this in this yarn. Yeah, like, John Allison, the director who directed One Night in Heaven, which we watched. Yeah. Also, then he went on to do Rambo, First Blood. Yeah, really wasn't Rambo. the best movie, but Remember, there weren't any Rambo sequels in which he looked ridiculous and played up Vietnam, okay? It was just the first one. He was traveling through a city, he went into the woods, right? Uh-huh. So how promising this guy was. Then everything after that was crap. Tango and Cash, uh, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, uh, Judge Dredd, of course, in the 90s. Uh, yeah, well, he... Keep going. The one in which he's a cop in the future. Oh, Copland. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Copland is the exception, but I don't think it's oh, really Copland a Sylvester. Not the exception. You're, you bought the hype. Because they're like, oh, he made an art house film. It's a Miramax film. But it wait, has... real, was it really making by, made by him? Because it's not star. No, no, no. He, he didn't direct it. He starred in it. Yeah. Well, I think of that as a real film. I think that was a good film. You didn't think so? No, I just thought that was like a bunch of like premises. They just wound up a bunch of dolls and watched them scatter around, you know, chattering teeth. I, I, I didn't buy it at all. I mean, it, the idea of like corrupt New York City cops that yeah. New Jersey town is just so far-fetched. I don't know. I didn't buy it. I blame Salone. If it was oh, someone yes. else, I might have bought it. <laughs> Needed a better salesman. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, you forgot. He didn't the like movie. the pitch. He didn't like that pitch. Have you ever seen the movie Party at Kitty and Studs, aka The Italian Stallion? No. Should I? Yeah. It's okay. a porn movie starring Sylvester, with Sylvester Stallone in oh, it. Oh, no, no. Okay, never mind. <laughs> it was this, uh, yeah, go ahead. You can watch it on Red Tube. No, it I'm was, not uh, doing it. I'm not doing it. It was this great 70s uh, female porn director. I forgot her name, Gail something, maybe. And she would introduce her films. But it was like, he was one of the party guests, and I think, like, this is, again, like, right. I read about these movies. There's a scene where <laughs> this woman breaks her uh, glass, and there's blood on her, his hand, her hands, or his hands, and they start licking it for, like, yeah. a long time. So yeah. he made this movie. He was in a lot of stuff. He was in Bananas, of course, with Woody Allen. Like, he was a New York City actor, and yeah. so he did this movie, 
And then when Rocky hit, they re-released the movie and called it The Italian Stallion, even though he's not. Oh, really? That's yeah. a little cheap. Hey, if you have Stallone in your porn movie, you know, he wasn't fucking anyone, from what I understand. But Yeah. Well, um, Jordan did that 90123. Oh, it's a Terminal Bliss, right? He could have spun yeah. it. Uh... Jordan Allen, one of uh, the first movie Carl and I did. It's, it was shot in our hometown in the 80s. And we know Jordan, and we like Jordan. Uh, but, you know, he made a film in senior year of high school. And he had Luke Perry. Yeah, Luke Perry, Trish, that's it. And no, no, uh, Trisha, the later Trisha uh, Arnett. What's, what's her name? And Sandra Bullock's footage ended up on the cutting room floor. You yeah. didn't know he had a star there. Yeah, that's that. What a crying shame for him. Yeah. Yeah, she shows that she showed up in like a lot of bad movies, and those bad. If you ever want to watch Love Potion Number Nine, it's still there. Why? Because that's Andrew a good Bullock's film. There. That's funny, Phil. Oh my god! <laughs> for this for this show, it's a great movie. <laughs> okay, there's lots of um, I wouldn't call it insulting, but these two are the stereotype, right? You know, and the, I don't know. This film has no problem with that. He goes. The phone rings, goes, bring, bring, and uh, the guy from Splash, no, I shouldn't do that to him, uh, Richard Shaw, Richard Shaw goes, one, and he goes, no, this is two, hold on, I get one. Oh, there's one and two? <laughs> so he's yelling at him right now. Yeah. And they're just doing all in Spanish. You see how they make him goofs? They see the pins are coming out and they're not taking care of it. They're fighting with each other. Yeah. It's just, it's, that's the script. Okay, so now he comes home. He's really tired. He goes and does the trophy thing with, uh, with Burgess Meredith. He goes and fixes the bowling lane. He, his girlfriend fights with him. Now he's finally getting to sleep and his girlfriend is like, you got to come to the bowling lanes now. <laughs> it's just showing like, I don't know. Life is hard. This movie sucks, man. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that like the seventies did have like a renaissance of professional bowling, bowling for dollars, uh, Sunday bowling shows. Well, I mean, bowling. It didn't do the expectations that they had, but it, I mean, it, it, Okay. Uh, the budget was 2.9 million, and there was 3.54 million for marketing. But I don't know how it did at the box office. I imagine it. There's no stories of like it bombed. You know, I don't know. Well, like when people do reviews on IMDb, are they like, I remember when this came out, or no? I I don't really look at the reviews on it. IMDb is like the first place you go to get the basic crap, and then you look up everything else from yeah. there, like the real story about the director and the you know the real filming location, like some some interesting bullshit. Uh, I love reading the user reviews. I, I think it's like one of the last good remnants of old internet mm -hmm. because. Sometimes they'll say like a detail that you're not going to find in the trivia, like, oh, I remember when this movie da da da, or uh, someone might give me a fact. But yeah, it's it's also like, is this movie worth watching? And, yeah. You know, you know, you, you might be right about that because 
occasionally that's happened, but it's usually when it's like in the first user comment and it catches my eye. Maybe I should give those things a try. It gives you a good flavor of like, especially when I'm trying to find a film, like, is this movie ultimately worth it? Uh-huh. You know, if they're like, oh, it's crap. I'm like, yeah. If they're like, holy fucking shit, my eyes are still bleeding. I'm like, okay, hang on. <laughs> now, Carl, can, uh, just out of the blue, where are you? Uh, okay. In this movie. I don't want to tell you that I am at 2535, 2537, 8. Okay. Okay, so right now they have a little dream together. You see, they're looking, they want to open their own bowling galley. They won in St. Louis, Missouri, but they found Peora, Illinois. And they're like, we don't have the money. But he goes, if I win the big championship, I could. You know, we get the money. Yeah, we'll have my dream bowling alley. So he takes he he's gonna go put an option on it, the option to buy it. Like he the owner cannot offer it to anyone else for three months. And it's gonna cost him ten grand. Oh, to hold it like that. Yeah. Then how much more money does he need to, to get a bowling alley? I don't I've seen this movie many times, maybe probably only four. And I don't know. I don't know. But I do know it's all the money he's got in the world, that 10000 So right now you're doing this weird montage, right? I wouldn't call it a montage. Right now he is – Just oh, practicing? Well, yeah, but it's like he's giving him Rocky, hold up your left. <laughs> Watch. That's it. From now on, you're going to be an – Well, you're not a southpaw anymore, you know. Tying his hand behind his back. <laughs> Follow through with the ball. Straighten up your back. You know. Speaking of Southpaw, this he's a right-handed bowler. <laughs> I meant that. that is a, ro- a Rocky reference. Yeah, no, I know. But, I, I, you know, as a left-handed person, I'm always obsessed. Well, you know how they call him uh, Southpaw, right? Well, I'm being South Jersey. It's not. All right, I'll spare you, Mike. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. <laughs> what was uh oh have you ever seen a john landis movie called oscar where sylvester stallone plays snaps provolone a gangster whose daughter is getting married yes yes that was one of the ones that played at the claridge when i worked there oh boy yeah <laughs> you got to see people over and over, and over and over well i've seen that movie does you know I, I as much as i like john landis but I, I used to watch all his movies because I, I just think like American comedies, he kind of knows how to do them. But that movie was weird. Yeah, yeah. One thing I liked about Sylvester Stallone in that movie is that he isn't afraid of his height in that movie. You know what I mean? Like normally, like he's always the same height as people and is never yeah. flattering. In that movie, he's like petite and built, you know, and just running around, scrambling around. Well, that's good. Yeah. Do, do you know Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? I really liked the premise. Uh huh. Well, yeah. Well, it's, you thought it was an autobiography. Your memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wow, this is like a page torn out of my own life. <laughs> You're right. I I was a I was a cop and. <laughs> <laughs> One time, my mother got involved in the caper, 
And Listen, if I had a nickel for every time someone said stop or my mom will shoot, I would have enough for a ticket to go see stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> a lot of nickels. <laughs> the thing is, if it wasn't the title of the film, that would have been a living catchphrase from uh, that film because... Yeah. Right, yeah. Look, you see how he has the spare? He got a spare? It's when she showed up. What the fuck, man? Girl. Oh, women, huh? Yeah, at least that's what Harry thinks. You know, I miss the Fox Movie Channel. When I had cable, I would watch it all the time. Fox Movie Channel? Yeah, the, I'm ahead of you, but the logo's going to pop up. Oh, you're ahead of me? Shit. I'm at, I'm at 30 minutes. I'm at 29.45. All right, we can live with 15 seconds. Kind of sucks. I'll tell you what, can you tell me, if, just just tell me when you get to 30.25. He's pointing 30, to... 25. He's pointing to something in the magazine. Okay, I will tell you when I get to 30.25. I'm sorry, audience at home. Listen, we audience, have a TV show already. You you want to hear us riff about a movie and not talk about Sylvester Stallone and, and queuing up. And what again? 25. Okay, it, well, I'm at 12, 13. I'm coming up on you now. Sounds good. <clears throat> 30 minutes and 20, 21, 22, 3, 4, 5. Great. Thank you, man. Thank I have you. a, I'm watching this on my new phone, and my new phone has a smart speaker assistant, mm -hmm. which always activates when I don't want it. And oh. it, it pauses videos to make sure that I don't want the other service. Great. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wait, they're kissing. Hold on a second. Oh, all right. Ooh, did they just fuck? Yup. Because you know why? Because this guy's a winner. Anything he wants, it's at his fingertips. It's at his command. He's going to be a champion. All the girls like him. It's everything. Clean shaven. He's clean shaven. Do you think he's got his chest shaven, that ball shaven? No, I think puberty gave him a shaven chest. Uh, Tim Matheson. Tim he was in Yeah, we know he's Otter from uh, yeah. from Animal House. This movie was after Animal House. For our film, he was in Speed Zone, big deal. But he was in Solar Crisis. Oh, right, an Alan Smithy film, wasn't right. it? Right. Yeah. Uber wrote that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Walter Hill who directed that movie. I might be mistaken. Oh, this is really interesting. He he is the lead voice role, the lead character in the animated series Johnny Quest, 64 and 65. 64 and 65? He, he must have looked boy. exactly like Johnny Quest. Yeah. What a charm line. Okay, this same year of 1979, he will land in the Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again. Rides Again. Uh, yeah, left what you want, but the, you're paying Disney Plus to have, to have that movie available. Great. <laughs> okay, it's the letter from the PVA. Mike, did he get in? Let's see. Did you get accepted to Berkeley? First choice? I don't want to be a spoiler. But heck uh, no! You don't meet our minimum requirements, loser! Damn it. Well, we still have Montclair State as backup. Yeah, Montclair State, the application is your checkbook. <laughs> Oh, you want to come like here? To... Oh, okay, you can, yes. Would you like to come? Click, check yes for yes, no for no. Right. I came out of high school with the 910 SATs, and Montclair State said, all right, all right, whatever. 
Yeah, that's good. That's, that's, those are numbers. Your dad works here, right? <laughs> <laughs> you are hired. Please make it out to MSC, Monkey State College. That, I hate when you call it that. Why? What, why do you have an alumni love for Montclair State College? Well, in the 80s, that had the, Montclair State College had the best arcade in Montclair. Oh, there was two arcades in Montclair. In yeah, we used to go to the student center. Yeah. It was the greatest. You're right about that. That was really cool. And then you, you would hang out and stuff like that. Yeah, and you'd be on campus. I remember you being in college. Yeah, I actually had, uh, tried to smoke a cigarette on the campus of Montclair State. Pretty cool. As a teenager, yeah, it was pretty cool. I didn't know what I was doing. So uh, in this movie, here we are in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, that's good. Picnic by table, the way, but... we're hearing the theme song to this movie this, a second time, and it's like, let me just remember what it's like. Jose Simone, right? What's up with that picnic? these picnic tables? That's kind of a little rat, right? It's just St. Louis, Missouri picnic tables in 1979. Well, yeah, around a roundabout. Wow, that looks cool. Here it is. For the top, I won't stop. I'm going to find my end of the rainbow. Reach for the top, I won't stop. End of the rainbow. It's catchy. I, I wrote a song for the changing lanes, changing lanes. Drive my hands on the dryer. Turn and face the strange ch ch changing lanes. <laughs> hey, do you think that store sells shoes? <laughs> hose. The pack hose. The, hose. the pack sir. I'd like uh, two hose, please. I'm sorry, myself, shoes. <laughs> shoes. I'm sorry. I, I read what I want to read. That isn't a dollar sign. It's an ass. Yes, sir. Top dollar hose. Top dollar hose. Okay, so he's not accepted into the PBA, so he's like, this is fucking bullshit. So he's going to, like, barge in on the PBA meeting, and they'll uh -huh. vote and say, yes, he can be in. I meet your minimum requirements. Hell, I beat this guy. Don't they throw him in the gutter? <laughs> Look at that typewriter. It's state-of-the-art. Really? Yeah, good point. Oh, yeah. those pins are defective. Look at that. They're yeah, cut they're, in half. They're time-traveling pins that get caught in, in matter. Oh, when they oh that's what they rematerialize? Yeah, they got stuck in the wall. <laughs> Star Trek's greatest fear. One time that happened in my foot, and... Uh, it's a, I was there for days. Was there ever a Star Trek episode where they like uh, teleported to a tree or into a wall or something? No, there. No, there's ones in which they teleport into nothing because they don't make them materialize. So they're just out there in in a beam of space. And there's another one in which like the transporter doesn't work. It, it, like two things were. I don't know. It it was a Vulcan who died. It was the first movie. Um, oh. There is one time when it made a double. The transporter made a double of Kirk. He, became, he was like an evil Kirk. Really? Yeah, and there was this one great episode called Mirror Mirror in which the transporters, they materialized, but in a different, like a parallel universe with it. The, the Federation was an empire. That's, that sounds like a Harlan uh, Ellison story right there. Mm -hmm. 
Look, he goes, I beat this guy. And he goes, is Dick Weber's like, is that right, Roy? He beat you? And he puts his head down in shame. In shame. Hold your head. He goes, look at my tie. This is a wide tie. I deserve to be in this. Yeah, look at the haircuts. Talk about bowl cuts, huh? Yeah. I'm cuts. nervous. I'm acting like I'm nervous. I'm waiting. I'm in a waiting room. You see me tapping my foot here? What happened? What did they say? Oh, he's taking his tie off. Yeah. yeah the, the director's making it look like ah, I didn't get it. So he can go, you got it! <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually grateful you're spoiling this movie for me because... This movie sucks. This movie is like every sports film. It's the only sports film I've ever seen in which the guy's a winner the whole time. This gotta be like... I've seen a lot of action films where the guy will never die and he kind of smirks his way. You, you've seen Hobbs and Shaw, right? Yes. Where they're looking at each other and gagging around while they're beating up people. You know, they're never going to die. Just unrealistic, but maybe that's okay. Okay, that's right. this is Spider, all right? And he's basically <laughs> a sleaze who's after, you know, trying to get laid all the time. That's what that's his whole character. He's uh, trying to get with the girls. He does have his like, best... His name's Matt Clark, and you probably know his face. Westerns? Yes, definitely Westerns. Uh, Chester the Bartender in 1990 and Back to the Future Part 3 and lots of TV. Oh, my God. That was the Western one. Uh, the Legend of the Lone Ranger. But oh. he was in Adventures – you know, he was in Buckaroo Banzai. Um, Heat of the Night – was he uh was he a renegade? What was what, this, what was the name of uh Bonsai's crew? Oh, um the Adventures of Bonsai across like the eighth dimension. I don't remember. I think I do remember I that film it. pretty well, but Yeah, I only remember I saw it two years ago and I so that was Stop while you can, the monkey boy. <laughs> no, I our dear friend Jonathan Second and I, that was the first time I got really drunk. We went and we bought we got a suitcase of beer. And then we went to uh, Fonseca's house. It's the high school. We had a video set recording of Banzai. And we proceeded to drink so much beer that we couldn't watch the movie. And then we just uh, played in the snow at the Pathmark parking lot by his house. Wow. That's that's a high school thing to do. <laughs> Very high school thing to do. <laughs> now, listen. He was in a movie you need to see immediately. The Outlaw Josie Wales. I heard about that. That's about yeah, a whale. Yeah, yeah. Mike, see that movie? What's wrong with you? I'm a pale rider guy. He was in The Beguiled. Did you Do you know that one? Uh, is it Clint Eastwood? Because no. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, man. I guess you just have a Clint Eastwood vacuum in your life. I do, uh, on purpose. Well, what about um, the ones he did in San Francisco? Uh, you know, uh, the gun the one. Happies. Yeah. Dirty Harry. Punk. Yeah, Dirty Harry. What about those? Yeah. Well, Dirty Harry is great. Uh, if you okay. ever see Zodiac, you get to see the cops get pissed off at, at watching it because it was a ripoff of Zodiac. Uh -huh. kind of loosely based uh, Scorpio. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, but that's, that's a great. I mean, he's in Kizar Stadium, like putting his, his foot to the guy's neck. And uh, that was good. And then what was the second one? The Enforcers or uh, Sun and Impact or some bullshit? There's one with Time Daily. Uh, one with Time Daily. Like. There's like a secret cabal of San Francisco cops that are even more fascist than right. 
and then you thought Dirty Harry should be in it. And he's like, the system stinks, but until something better comes along, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, right. They get pissed off. You know, we're missing this film, and that's okay. Okay. Yeah, I you know I love our show, but there's some times where we just don't. We you you know some movies are so bad you need somebody in the room, and that's what we did. <laughs> now she is a very sexy woman, and Spider, of course, will go after her. Are you having tea during our show? Yeah. Are you making Hello. Legos like? Um, I'm in the studio. <laughs> Brumba. Yeah, I miss Paul Brumba. I do too. I like the comedian countdown thing, but he was. No, it's comedian countdown thing is good. It's like we introduce the show and. uh, It's like you break away and come back. I don't know. It's nice. But I just, I wish Paul, maybe we could just have him on as a guest if he'd be into it. I'll find out. Yeah, if he's into it. Mm -hmm. I'll leave it at that. Okay, so, so I don't know. Should I tell you what's going on? Right now, the spider was hitting on every girl, and the only one that kind of responded, I guess she thought that they were going to be boyfriend and girlfriend, and now she's seeing him with this sexy girl. Oh, man, that is a good shot. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Nice shot. Yeah, I mean, oh, wow. Of wow. course, I'm talking about pool. Yeah. Oh, is this movie about pool now? Girl. Look at that angle. Wait, wait, look at that angle. Mm-mm. It's, I mean, the camera angle. Now, I know, yeah, very sharp angles. Uh, we were from Montclair, New Jersey, and Montclair, New Jersey had a gigantic bowling alley at one point. Yeah, yeah, that's on, was it on Bloomfield Avenue above? Yeah, uh, yeah, by the art museum. Right, 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 right. We had an art museum, consumer uh, electronics, and a bowling alley. And in the bowling alley, there was like a recruitment station. Yeah, the there was an army recruitment station. That's right. And there you know, was I got a, a bar. I got a call in high school, senior year. Hi, Mike. This is Sergeant whatever from the recruitment station at the bowling alley. I just want to confirm our appointment. <laughs> appointment? What appointment, sir? Oh, well, uh, your mother made you an appointment. She did? It's for yeah. today at 4. No, it wasn't my mother. It was the Boy Scouts. He had got a mailing list. <laughs> wow, those <laughs> jerk fascists. So besides the bowling, like a good bowling alley has a bar, and that's where you hang out. That's you know, the so, draw. That's a dirty little secret of bowling. That's the draw. Yeah, because like it's not just a bar. It's like a full-on countertop, so you can have lunch there. You know, like, and you can just sit and have beer. And so get the, bar food. And so. You have a few, and then you go bowl a few, and it's fun to bowl a little bit. Yeah, but you know, like when I when I moved to the Upper Hate before uh, Amoeba Records opened up, Amoeba Records was a, a Hate Street Bowling. They had like uh-huh. punk rock bowling, but there was a bar in the bowling alley. And when I lived in the neighborhood, I would just go to that bar. That's cool. Like, I would never bowl, but it was a nice, quiet place, and for for most of the tables, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was classy. I mean, it was an upper. I mean, I hated it, but it was an upper hate. Oh, yeah, it was upper hate. Now it he's like, lower. okay, so Harry is back, and he put down the option. We're going to be bowling, dudes. We're going to have a bowling lane. All you got to do is do your part and win. No problem, Harry. And now the girlfriend's going to be like, oh, when were you telling me this? Yeah, right. Looks, he's mad. You're going to be Oreo. Well, you can come with me. Jack Gordon, just ask me first. 
<laughs> Does you think Jack Warren walks around with with luggage regardless of what he's packing? <laughs> right, because it just looks the part with that yeah. kind of hat on. That hat, I can't wait to take the hat off. Yeah, yeah put hat, that on the luggage and take my hat off. It's like a hat you would wear in the islands. It's not a cowboy hat. It's 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 brim is big enough. It's grubby chic. <laughs> it's grubby Shabby chic. chic. That's a good way to put it. Ragamuffin. Ragamuffin. Back when suits and hats meant something. Now, this Dick Weber, this famous uh, bowler, was instrumental in helping Tim Matheson, like, know how to do it and make a style that looked real, you know. I yeah. mean, he was in a bowling – Tim Matheson was in a – he kept score for bowlers. He made $10 a night. Um he doesn't really have any connection. He had to start learning how to bowl as soon as they cast him in this. And he spent months. And and Dick Weber's son, for some reason, was his coach. Um, well, I guess Samantha wanted a little Dick. Well, the thing was, he didn't really need to be a good bowler. He just needed to have the cool look. You know, the he had to do his swing right and do the... Right. Who cares if it really hit, you know? But many times in this film, he's shot from behind and he's striking. Well, you so, know, I don't really expect him to be falling. The thing is, if, you know, we don't know how many, you know, take five. Now, do you, he looks like a real bowler. I mean, when he walks, it looks like he has 10 pound balls. <laughs> That's right. It really does. And that hat he wears, that English hat, it's a bowler. It's a bowler. <laughs> <laughs> So did you ever call up the bowling alley and ask if they had 10-pound balls? <laughs> yes, I have done that. Uh, and I've asked uh, if your your computer, if your refrigerator was running. I've done that one. Have you called the chicken basket? Remember the chicken basket? <laughs> no, but you used to, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, and ask like how big the breasts were. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, one time, me and James Higgins, we looked up, uh, we just – we're looking up dirty words in the phone book and we came across uh, somebody penis. It was Penas, Mrs. Penis. So we called her. How about Mrs. Penis? <laughs> She's like, it's Penas. That's my uh, lady voice today, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That lady killed herself shortly thereafter. Carl. No, she was laughing and she goes, people always get that wrong. You naughty little children. Now lose my number. <laughs> She was having a good time. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> well, I think the last time I went bowling was in Japantown. Uh -huh. There's a there's, there's an also, alley. Yeah, um, and also the Presidio is you know it was a military base that became private land and uh, or decommissioned, I guess. But mm -hmm. they had a bowling alley uh, for the servicemen. I think it's still open. Like office was closed. Yeah, it used to be like there was always a bowling alley. Yawn. Why are we watching a movie about bowling? Talking about bowling. I mean, it's not exactly up my alley. <laughs> oh, man, we're running out of bowling puns, Carl. The movie's not even over yet. Now, Spider saw them fight, okay? So oh, she's so over the house sniffing around for pussy. And she's like, help me get his things out of here. And he's like, oh, no problem, darling. Long comes the spider. <laughs> That's right. 
and his name is Delbert. And at this one time, she goes, "Damn it, Delbert!" And he goes, "Delbert, I would." He goes, "If I will live to forty years old, I will never understand women." <laughs> now, the movie will get good here for like a minute twenty. No, maybe two minutes and a little. I don't know how long. the The movie's gonna get good. We should even turn up the sound. Okay. Uh, not yet, because they got to go inside and have a, a like Walter White fight Skyler scene. Oh, like Breaking Bad, Walter White. It's. I'm just saying, it's a relationship thing, and he's kicking. He's kicking him out. I need to be number one in your life, not bowling. Take this stupid trophy. I'm not competing with bowling. <laughs> Isn't it? You had that conversation. Sandy gave you that conversation, but it was Pogs. <laughs> I'm not going to compete against Pogs, Carl. Uh, what is Pogs? What is that? It's pineapple, orange juice, guava. Those are the little bottle cap games where you. Uh... Uh, is it akin to like cup stacking? <laughs> yeah, they're little circular things. You you stack them up and then you try and knock them down and collect them. I'm not. I'm not being second to Pogs or your manager. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, how many vacuum okay. cleaners do they have? Go ahead and turn the volume up now. It'll the movie will get good. I'll come get it later. He, he she wants that car out, which hasn't driven in two years. All right. Oh shit! Yeah. He's just not Keep the sound on because they're going to fight. All right, well, you can turn this thing off now. But Okay, now the movie's going to go back to dumb, okay? He's How is it? To, now, he really should be driving to Chicago. You see, she can't come with him to Chicago because she starts fights and then he bowls bad, you know? So forget it. You're not coming with me. And then it's like, if I'm not coming with you, then we're breaking up. Yeah. And he's like, don't be crazy, girl. And she's like, but I am crazy. Somebody scripted this. Somebody wrote this into the script. And I'm a crazy person. And look, as soon as he's gone, she's crying. She regrets it. I mean, right. she wants him to turn around and say, okay, honey, you're more important to me than bowling. So he, of course, goes to Burgess Meredith's little shack there. Yeah. Because he's got to put his stuff somewhere. He's like, you haven't even left yet. You're going to be exhausted for the tournament. Yeah, he's always thinking about the game. Burgess Meredith, he's just, it's all about the match. That's right. Is he's reading a newspaper? God, this guy's such a character actor. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. I want, so, you, I want you to chase this chicken. Chase this chicken. All the good bowlers get you. The grease lightning, if you could chase this chicken. Do you remember that from Rocky? Oh, he had to chase the chicken? No, I don't remember that. Oh, you don't? He goes, oh. he goes what are we doing out here? I'm going to I'm gonna grab a chicken. You can't catch this chicken. If you can catch this chicken, you're grease lightning. <laughs> you oh don't know kidding? No. Okay, so. I got to watch it. I got to watch it. Well, did you see Krieg? Creed? Creed? I saw Creed. I haven't seen Creed 2. I do want to see it. I know that uh, Michael B. Jordan is directing himself in the third movie. Creed 3. Uh, well, in Creed, uh, Creed, how do you say it? Creed? 
Creed, though. It's a good movie. To him, so, him and Tessa Sylvester Stallone says, you got to chase this chicken. He goes, what I got to chase chicken for? So he puts the ch- chicken down, and the kid, what's his name, the actor? Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan, like, turns himself, positions himself, and makes a beeline chase and just picks, he sort of scoops the chicken up. And he's like, Rocky's like, yeah, I make these chickens as fast as they used to be. You don't remember <laughs> that scene? Look, all I remember is that uh, Tessa Chu, uh, Thompson is uh, sitting there, and she's like, jaw, jaw, we say jaw a lot. Remember that scene they're eating? Tessa Thompson? The, you mean the, the uh, Adrian? Yeah, the Adrian movie. She was in not in that movie. She had died, remember? Creed. No, 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 I'm talking about Creed's love interest. Okay. Oh, right. I yeah. Go ahead. No, that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, See, so the director's doing terrible stuff here. As you know, he's late to get out because of the girlfriend fight. Then he's late because he just dropped his stuff off instead of leaving it in his car. And now he's down at the side of the road. How tough is it for him, right? But the thing is, our hero's a winner. So, of course, he'll get picked up by a truck. Immediately. And then the truck will CB another truck. Is that the word? To the CB? Going to go, hey, good buddy, we got us a, you know, who can take him the other way for his bowling championship? So they hook up at a coffee. He's a winner. He's a winner. Yeah. Hey, good buddy, we got a bowler. People are checking their CB dictionary. What the fuck is a bowler? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, that's CB glossary. What's it say? Suits? Suits America? Uh, some company suits America. It's close. So, um, botany suits America. So, uh, what about his car? He just abandoned it, and he loves that car. He bought it from this trophy, from his money uh, winnings. All right, never mind. Who? Why should I care about this belt? No, doesn't that, that truck have to go? Know? We got to go to Prices Right. We got to get the host a suit. Remember that they always say at the end of the talk show, suits provided by Richard Dawson, suit provided by Bondi 500. Right, for free. Yeah. Da, da, da. Make it to the top. I won't stop. Gonna find my end of the rainbow. Make it to the top. What song again? There you go. Sorry, sorry, I didn't have any gas or grass. Right. But if he did, if it was that kind of film, he would get it because see, he's switching trucks now because they call the you know, hey, good buddy. We're gonna get to help you win that contest. This is totally unbelievable. There hasn't been a single orangutan in a truck at all. I know they don't know truckers of the '70s like we do. You need like a Clyde or a bear. The bear. Do you remember when BJ had an orangutan in his car and he called it a bear? That's right, BJ and the bear, and that was straight off that movie too. It was named after like a professional coach, like a, a football coach, bear. Something. Ah. BJ the and the bear. BJ the bear. That sounds like a horrible weekend camping. Oh, it sounds like the greatest gay porn movie ever. 
<laughs> oh, Bear! Yeah, that's yeah, it. and BJ. Dude, I'm doing the heavy lifting today. No, I was with you on the BJ from the start. That's why I was going to be a hell of a camp trip, but you were better. You threw in the, be the bear. God, that mustache must have retired early. Well, this guy doesn't like him because he was the one he busted in on and ruined his yeah. So he made it there and he's like, you're late. You missed the rules. You're rub blah, 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 blah. Here's the guy he beat to get here. And he goes, by the way, he didn't tell you about the so-and-so rule. And he goes, what, what, what's the so-and-so rule? He's trying to, like, freak him out, you know, psych him out. God, I miss fucking lockers. Remember, like, before 9-11, if you wanted to leave some secret suitcase, yep. you go to the airport? Yeah. The Greyhound Terminal? Yeah, it was really cool. It was really neat. The idea that you would want to leave something as you got on the train and went somewhere, yeah. kind of weird. But, uh... That was the service it provided, and you could just, you know, get shorty. You could just drop off something for someone. Yeah, I don't think it was, like, so they were originally meant for, you're absolutely right. I would go to uh, Penn Station, I would leave something in a locker, and then I like would take the Amtrak. Or something. Yeah, and then i take the Amtrak to Boston, and then when I come back, i pick up my stuff. It actually doesn't make any sense. Yep, it doesn't make any sense. We're going to do what they say can't be done. We got a long way to go. And Going over the top. Time to get there. Oh, sweet Lord, I'm just a bowler. <laughs> yeah, remember Howard, uh, what's his, Les Nesman, no. Uh, Dr. Johnny Fever last episode, he was a lover of Janis Joplin. Oh, Munchie Strikes Back, he was singing right. Janis Joplin? He, yeah, he was uh, arrested. He spent a lot of time in San Francisco. He knew her there. He got arrested for pot in 66. Are you talking Johnny about Howard Nesman? I thought you were talking about Munchie, the character he plays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think any woman would. Well, actually, he does make things appear, right? I don't think anyone would want to fuck. I don't, I don't think anyone wants to fuck Munchie. No. It's a kid's a, movie. No one's got a human. Munchie. Well, there's other puppets in the sea. Yes, right. Like, uh, like, who would I bang? Mrs. Pig, Miss Piggy. Okay, so this is um, like, you know, you're dumb to break up with Spider, and I know, and I don't know. This movie sucks, man. This movie's stupid. I have to say, like, this director is strange. We're two-thirds into this movie, and nothing's really happened. Yeah. He made it to the, you know, like... The third act is just going to be this comp test. But that's it. Yeah, that's right. Well, no, there's more to come. He's going to go win something that gets him he to to have the 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 round that's the big shot to to beat the big. You know, he got into the PBA. He's going to be in the big one. He's going to go up against all of that the the um champion league bowlers. I don't know, and he'll win it all. So we got a ways to go, unfortunately. One time I was watching Fox uh, Movie Channel, and the the president of Fox Movie Channel was uh, hosting Phantom of the Paradise, and he's like, that's where I met my wife, Jessica Harper. Really? Yeah. I think she was there, like modern day, just, just it was a Harper or Lang, I forget. I, 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 I. He said he, he, 
he uh, he saw the movie and he fell in love with her, and when they they got married. Um, I think that um, who was it in me, myself, and Irene Renee Zellweger? I think she married that singer without really knowing him. No, oh, what was it? Lyle Lovett. Somebody saw the movie um, to, to, uh, McGuire, you know, the yeah. Jerry McGuire. Jerry McGuire. And then they fell in love with the character and asked Ren Renee Zelliger to marry. And she said yes. And of course, she's not. She's an actress. She wasn't the person. Don't you know this story? No, I guess not. They got divorced almost right away. But why would Renee say yes? Who knows? Maybe she's in character. Okay, so what's happening now is a fight. It's basically, you know, why don't you leave him alone? Let him bowl. Um, you can't leave him alone because you're a washed-up loser, you know, because losers teach. 